talking about small businesses, I mean, we we work with small businesses and the ultimate small business would be like a little mom and pop shop. So if you had a little like boutique or something like that, what would you sell? You, like a fishing store or a little art store? IT. <laughs> well, it is kind of funny. I mean, I, I feel like that'd probably be it, but I'm um I'm a nerd, so it would probably be something gaming related would be my alternative. My my wife is in uh the floral industry and she's always said that she would love to have a floral shop with me, which is not my interest. So um I would be more like flowers and gaming. Somehow we gotta have the guys have to have a place to go and find something interesting while the ladies are shopping. I don't know. That's I I did always say that if I get burned out from cybersecurity, I want to go work in a greenhouse. So I might be over there uh, in the flower section. Uh, so I'll be your I'll be uh, your wife's uh, first customer over there. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say probably some type of like garden center um, was gonna be my answer, but uh, I'm also a geek, and so I feel like I could possibly go try and buy up all the super old connections for like computers and just uh make it available where if you can't can't find something at you know target or something like that come here and i'll help support your uh, wildly old technology and that one very obscure cable that you've been looking <laughs> for forever i might have it um don't want to support uh, old technology here at work but um It'd be fun just to try and find the most obscure connections and cables and cards and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure we still got floppy disks in the office somewhere. We need to be able to read what's on them. <laughs> I have a smaller micro center. <laughs> but yeah, fun fact, I used to work for a company that is still using microfiche. So. How about you, August? Um, for me, it would be... I will take the sports advocate route and do a uh, trading card and collectibles and like memorabilia store. We had one up um, where I went to college and I spent a pretty solid amount of time there. Me and the owner were on a first name basis and um, I even I guess I should have even worked there because I spent so much time there. But that would probably be it for me. <laughs> I know where everything is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. What about you, Kelsey? Oh, I think I have to go semi-stereotypical and say bookstore, but like a cute little mm. bookstore. If anybody's ever been to Wild Rumpus in Minneapolis or Linden Hills, technically neighborhood it's in, there's like animals and cats walking around. And I'm like, yep, not to bring it back to my crazy cat lady self, but yeah. 100%. I'm like, oh, cozy reading nooks and the smell of books and then random furry mm. animals. I was like, yep, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be doing that. That's a good one. I came up with this question and I feel like I don't have an answer. I <laughs> I like to go to like the candle shops just because I like to smell all the candles. Um, so maybe something like that where I like sell candles or like honey. Um, yeah, like little interesting like food items you know, that you can't get anywhere else, I think that would be fun to do. Mostly because that's the stuff I want to buy. <laughs> you know, I just now, buy away on the store. And I want a candle. Yeah, 100%. I'm yeah, like, oh, right? store, I'm buying from you. Yes. Well, Kelsey, yes. you, Kelsey, you uh, like knit or crochet, right? You do one of them, right? That's a no. good 
Yeah, I'll, answer. I was going to say, because in Stillwater, there used to be a yarn shop, and you would go there and just watch, you know, a bunch of the ladies just sitting around in a circle, you know, having their conversation and uh, crocheting or knitting. And that seemed like a lot of fun, right? And so... Yeah, I don't, I don't know do myself, but, yeah. but that would be a, a nice, cute little location, right? So I'd cool. still be at like uh, the bookstore Todd's can be Garden. Next to the yard shop, <laughs> next to the yeah. candle shop, and then across the street we'll have all of your shops, and the women yeah. can, not to be stereotypical one way or another, everybody can go on both sides of the street, y'all. We'll <laughs> you can go wherever you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, talking about small businesses, I mean, that is um, the world that we service. And today we're talking about protecting your small business, uh, specifically with PAM Solutions. So today, uh, Kelsey and myself are joined by Todd, our COO and CISO, Nate, our Director of Cybersecurity, and August, our SOC Technician. And I'm going to throw a challenge. I want like in 30 seconds, so short, what is a PAM solution? And then we can go in deeper, but I better real take quick. this one because Todd won't finish it in 30 seconds. <laughs> I, was gonna yeah. say, I was gonna say this, this is, is the zero, challenge. zero chance neither Nate or I can do it in 30 seconds. I think it's gonna cool. have to be August. <laughs> Me? All right. Um, PAM standing for privilege access management, basically locking down your environment from having a local admin running on your device um, for all users so they can't run any programs as administrator um, or have those elevated rights to make changes to your uh, computer such as um, oh I'm, I'm blanking um, like your your registry editor or opening PowerShell or command prompt or stuff like that so nice. that's Look. solid did it that's awesome boom good job and that's the end of the podcast thanks for coming <laughs> that's right. it. thank you for coming see you later <laughs> if you have any questions no where's um, my outro music <laughs> <laughs> so if you had to expand on that because i know that todd and nate are both like itching to to expand <laughs> what would you sort of add to that i guess uh one of the main things there is that allowing end users to have full admin access to their systems is extremely dangerous. Um, you know, and that's not me trying to overplay the importance of a PAM. And it's also, you are talking to a security person, right? And I, it is kind of one of those core foundational things, but people don't always understand the true severity of it. Um, and so, this is one of the things where it goes far beyond just that the users could potentially make a change to their system, right? Or install new software on that uh, system as, as well. But we know that, you know, phishing attacks have been greatly on the rise over the years. A lot of different metrics that you can look out there, but, you know, we do see it continue to spike up, especially during uh, the shift to remote workforce. Um, but as this is happening there's core data and files on your system that manage credentials um so your your devices they store passwords temporarily so that way they can either 
minimizes the number of um, passwords that someone has to type in to be able to log in, but then also um, in terms of how do you log in offline, right? If you have no internet, can you still get in there? There's attacks, and I'm not going to go into depth of them, called like pass the hash attacks, where if someone had local admin, they had someone potentially get into that device, you can take those administrative credentials and then go log straight into the most privileged servers in the environment. Um, and so a normal user wouldn't typically intend to do that, but it makes it extremely easy to bypass all other security controls uh, in the environment just because they have local admin. Yeah, um, I'll uh, back up a little bit. I, I We do love our acronym, so we did PAM with, thankfully, August explained, explained it. I know we get into SMB too, which is small, medium businesses. Um, but kind of backing up on, on the privileges is, most people probably feel what privilege access looks like in the form of the UAC control. And I, it's just an acronym. I could tell you, couldn't tell you what it is. <laughs> access control, but I don't know what it is. User access control, I believe. <laughs> um, and what that is, is like when you get a new software, you're going to install QuickBooks or, or uh, the latest and greatest TurboTax on your own home PC. You go to install it and it pops up and says, hey, are you sure you want to do this? And of course, everybody says yes without thinking about it. That is the initial kind of control that Windows puts into it. Um, unfortunately, the bad guys are incredibly clever and they go, how can I abuse everything, which gets into the stuff that Nate was talking about on the deep level of past the hash and other types of things. Um, but essentially, the reason why a lot of people tend to have administrative rights is because it's convenient. Um, I want to update my version of Adobe, whatever the case may be, uh, Chrome is bugging me for an update, whatever that may be, those types of things are just hitting, yes, please move on and stop bothering me. It's very, very convenient. Um, we have some very technical individuals on our team, and it's no surprise that they all want to have the privileged access to do what they want. They're smart enough not to click on the bad thing, et cetera, et cetera. That being said, as Nate said, we're super paranoid. We're not okay with that. You're going to have to deal with some of, some layer of friction just to slow you down enough so you don't click the thing and get us into trouble. Um, so on the deep level, the reason you have privileges because it allows you to do everything, right? It gets you the, the ability to do the install. The bad side of it is it's exactly what August and Nate were saying is you can do a whole bunch of stuff with admin. You can edit the registry. You can install additional things you didn't mean to do. The level of abuse that can be ha had from having admin privileges is they call it the keys of the kingdom for a reason. So I think we could dive deeper into like benefits and challenges. But before we do that, um, you know, oftentimes I'll ask, so does everybody need this? And then the answer is always yes. So I'm going to pose it in. <laughs> is there is there anyone like my little mom and pop shop that has like five employees? Is this still right for that? Or is there um kind of a, a a line where yes you should have it or no it's not maybe not right who needs this well we're in security so the answer is yes everybody needs it <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> um so the reason why there is a such a solution as privilege access management is because to be safe you really shouldn't use that admin privilege day in and day out and for the most part, you really don't need that. You don't need the keys to the kingdom to open up a Word document or answer your email, whatever the case may be. And so if you had the ability to say, day in and day out, I'm gonna use an account called Todd, but when I need to install software, I'm gonna log in as Todd admin, that would be ideal. 
most people aren't willing to do that. That's inconvenient. Um, so the tool itself is a process of automating that transition for you. So you can be logged in as Todd, normal user, and it says, hey, are you sure you want to do this? This tool is intercepting that and saying, I have the ability to make sure it's a secure transaction without giving you full blown access to everything. So my answer is yes, but I'll let the other two expand on that or, or disagree with me if that's the case that may be. Um, I would say also yes, uh, <laughs> kind of going off on Todd there, since small and medium businesses are the most attacked surfaces for um, businesses, I would say that they were, would be a higher risk than some of those enterprise levels. Um, so, Yeah, for, uh, one expansion on that is the enterprise probably already has it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My answer is it depends and i'm gonna <laughs> default more towards the yes so uh, there are some very slight things that i could see where you maybe decide not to and todd already touched on it briefly is if you're willing to do the due diligence on removing those and ensuring that you aren't running something malicious but it quickly starts to fail when you start talking about the long-term usability of that. So for example, maybe you are a very small organization and there's one person there that's allowed to do the permissions to be able to elevate uh, or install new software. What happens when they're on vacation? What happens when they're sick? What happens you know, in those instances? Does the business have to stop to do something basic? Because at that point, you're not approving new common items so for example it could be um, a google chrome update it could be a driver update uh, maybe your the the wireless is a little finicky maybe a usb driver needs to be updated um, updating just the os it, to the latest and greatest security patches right something basic like that as soon as you're gone from the office it becomes extremely difficult and then it does start prompting you fairly often if you're trying to do some of this basic stuff Again, that's where Todd said that when you implement something like a PAM solution, it can go pull from global policies and global items saying that I know that anytime something is an signed by HP or Dell for those driver updates, just automatically let it through. There is no extra prompt. Anytime there is a Chrome update or a security update to the system, allow those through uh, without consistently inundating uh, the end users for admin credentials. So you can get through it without it. It's just more of a burden on the administrative side. Yeah. Definitely. So we talked a little bit about what it is and who needs it. Um, is there, we, we touched a little bit on the benefits and uh, some on the challenges. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to, you know, we've talked about MFA before and that that's such an easy, um, cost efficient, everyone needs to do that. Is there any challenges that people are going to face trying to implement this what does that look like if a business says yes let's do it what do they do i, I yeah august i'd say uh <laughs> you probably have the most experience actually helping implement it but small and medium i would say are pretty dang easy to get this implemented but i'll let you go into more depth there 
Yeah, it, it is kind of going off of what Nate was saying about usability and when your uh, admin is gone or out sick, it's when a user's trying to install something like even a SaaS solution um, and just a basic install if they're out of office, um, you can't get that installed. And if you don't have an overarching MSP managing your IT, it can be very frustrating for a user to not be able to do their basic job. So um, I would say that could be a limitation of just uh, availability to the user to get their work done. Um, but I would say that it's still pros and cons. Pros still outweigh the cons at, at that point. But it, yeah, I would say 100% availability is the limitation. <clears throat> yeah, um, housekeeping, SaaS is software as a service. Um, when it comes to SMBs, I don't want everybody to just focus solely on mom and pops because those do exist and that to me, they, yeah. they still mention, right? So I, I mentioned my wife runs a flower shop. Could she use it? Absolutely. Um, but other places where you may see a little bit more friction is we do work with a fair number of banks that may be in that smaller category. And then sometimes they outsource some of their tools to a larger organization or their core banking, as it's referred to. And in some of those cases, there are things that happen in the background of some of their systems that in the cybersecurity world you would consider to be malicious. And for example, um, one tool in particular, when you launch it, it tries to run, this is a little bit older technology, they call it a batch file, and it triggers this, this tool on the outside of the application to run, if you will. And that is typically not something you want to do in the cyber world. Unfortunately, unfortunately, whatever, in this particular instance, that is normal behavior for that particular tool set. So there is nuance in it. If you just went in and you installed the PAM solution, it may keep you from doing some of those kinds of things going, hey, that's not normal. That that other thing shouldn't require that permission. Um, and you just need to work through it. But the tools are designed in such a manner where they understand that modern work happens at a different pace and that the, the full blown bringing a company to its knees is not all right. So there's usually kind of a, um, a monitoring process, if you will, before doing a full implementation that you can kind of walk through. And of course, you can always rely on experts like August to help get you up to speed as fast as humanly possible. Yeah, one of the uh, things that I did want to mention as well is especially the small medium businesses that are in a regulated space. Um, Todd did mention this with the core banking, um, but one of the main challenges that um, you see in these different industries is that the auditors, the regulators, they will say you are not allowed to give your users local admin, but then your critical core system requires admin to be able to run effectively or maybe even start. Um, CIT, we used to use an application for all of our remote access. Um, it required local admin. But for our own compliance, we can't do that, right? So there's a conflict there, and that's where the tool comes in and can solve both of those issues. Um, that's where, again, we do that with the banks. We do that with um, other, some of the manufacturing firms. I know that sometimes they will have software in order to allow the shop floor to run or do AutoCAD designs, maybe to create the next um, product there. Those ones typically require admin to be able to go modify some of the registry files when there's a new update. Again, that becomes an issue. Um, and so that's where, again, these, these solutions are just a very nice middle layer to solve the interaction between the user and the system 
uh, without really getting in their way too much. Yeah. So th it's been a very um, kind of basic overview. Uh, is there anything about these PAM solutions, either benefits or challenges or implementation um, that you want to dive a little bit? I know we're kind of running out of time and we'll definitely come back to this in the future. Um, but is there anything that you want to add or cover as we kind of finish up here? Um, I would say just implementation wise, it's a pretty easy rollout for most organizations since like I think Todd was touching on it briefly of um, when the applications get rolled out into your environment that your PAM solution normally like learns your environment at that point and then you can make edits within there, look at uh, what's being denied, what's being allowed, and then also um, what applications are running that local admin. I think there's a podcast about um, banks and what applications they're running as local admin and I, I know that it's nice to make those edits to lock down your environment but give that one application local admin I think as well as what Nate was touching on so um, implementation is pretty easy um, learning your environment is easy and then switching it on when when you're all said and done so yeah, we, we don't get into it often, but it, but the whole point of the podcast is really education, right? So um, when it comes to streamlining the implementation, there is a benefit of working with an organization like CIT. Um, as we're talking about tools like this, August is giving you the guts of this is what it can do, this is how it can do it, and we learn a lot about it. The nice thing about teams like us is we work with a lot of banks. So if we know what I was talking about earlier, whether it's a it's a batch file or something along those lines, we can take that knowledge and apply it to all of the banks and we can create global policies, if you will, and we can say this is the standard best practice for a bank, if you will. That is incredibly benefit and it will absolutely streamline the process of implementation and it'll get you in the best place as fast as possible, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, one other little challenge that I know comes up often is because every organization is at their own journey, their own level of maturity, sometimes it's not something you may have planned for. And as such, you just kind of got to go, okay, well, what does that look like? What does this costing look like? And if you can't afford it today, start thinking about how you budget it into the next year, because it is something that is important. Um, as I mentioned on that journey aspect, there's a 1A, 1B that we talk about constantly, and that's EDR and MFA. Get those in place as fast as reasonably possible, and then we start talking about what's next. And this is one of those items that definitely falls in that category of what's next. I was going to make a joke here because uh, <laughs> so for those just listening to the audio, Todd and I are wearing the same shirt here today. But then I was just about to start talking about how the same the shameless plug of we work with all these different organizations that are in similar spaces. Um, so it, that is one of the main benefits of if you're going to look to work with, you know, CIT for a solution like this. So August had mentioned that typically these PAM solutions, they'll go learn your environment. Not all of them do that. Um, and so that's uh, another differentiator is there are solutions out there that can accommodate this, but it's very manual on inventorying all your systems, finding out what software, what drivers, what you know, other applications are there, what devices is it running on? Um, and then you have to go manually build all these policies. That's why CIT found the solution that we did. We use it internally. We you know work with all these other organizations to also do that. 
and then like Todd mentioned is we have global policies we have different subset of policies that you know maybe only apply to your organization all the way down to you know a particular user on one workstation um, for those permissions but that's the the benefit is if we ever see something like an hp update or something that's just very basic it's everything checks out properly we can apply that at a global level potentially when uh, another customer requests it so then by the time you ever try and run that same piece of software it's just going to allow it through there is no approval process or anything like that so it's it's wildly efficient uh, once you start taking a look at how this gets deployed in scale I feel like we went and we had quite a high overview and this is worth going into um, again in the future so uh, if you definitely check out our website, um, watch our podcast for more information. I'd like to thank Todd, Nate, and August for joining us today. If you have questions about these PAM solutions, or you want to talk to these people, you want to learn more, please reach out to us at info at cit-net.com or head out to our website at cit-net.com slash podcast. And we'll be back next week with an all new episode.